Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel, or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app. For a long time, it was assumed that Kylian Mbappe's next move would be to Real Madrid. That, for now at least, is no longer happening. The French superstar signed a big new contract with PSG this past weekend. My colleagues Adam Crafton and Dermot Corrigan have been following this issue closely, and they joined Mark Chapman to talk about what the deal means for Mbappe, PSG, and what Real Madrid and La Liga will do now. I'm Alex Abnos from The Athletic, and this is Soccer Every Day for Wednesday, May 25th. Let's move on to Kylian Mbappe, then, who signed a new three-year contract with Paris Saint-Germain. How on earth did PSG manage this, Adam, first of all? Although, although when I say how on earth did they manage this, the way I phrase that question makes it sound like they're the plucky underdogs in all of this, which, of course, they're not. No, they're not. I mean, it's... What happened was we, everyone had come to expect that it was almost this inevitability that Kylian Mbappe would join Real Madrid. And that's mostly because it's the way that the Madrid media for the past two years has has framed it. You know, Mbappe is going to go to Madrid. It's the biggest club in the world, biggest, probably going to be the biggest player in the world along with Haaland. Where else would he go? Why would he even dream of going somewhere else? And the reality is it's always been a bit more complicated than that. There's been no point over the past 18 months where PSG have, you know, when you speak to them, have said, this is gone. This is something which we can't pull back. They first thought they would get Mbappe signed up before the Euros last year. They thought it was pretty much done. They were told by his camp, you know, this is something we expect to happen. He then went to the Euros and the suspicion at that time was, He'll go to the Euros, score a few goals, drive up his value, get another zero on the end of that contract and stay at PSG. The the problem was the Euros went wrong for him. He didn't score a goal. He missed the crucial penalty against Switzerland and France went out of the competition. And there was this, there was a backlash against him in France. I mean, the first game of PSG season, he was actually booed by supporters, partially, I think, because of the contract dispute, partially because of his performances for France. You then had the situation last summer where Madrid came in very, very late in the window with a 160 million euros offer, which was turned down by PSG. And at the time, there was a huge amount of criticism saying, how can a club turn down 160 million for a player who could be leaving in 10 months for free? How can any club that runs sustainably turn that down? There was then a bit of confusion because you had people in Madrid saying there's been a second offer and a third offer. And at PSG, they said those offers never formally arrived. So was there a case of, I suppose, Madrid trying to give the impression to Mbappe, look, we've done everything we can this summer in terms of transfer offers, but PSG just won't let you come. And therefore, we are in the driving seat next summer when it comes to making your mind up. We've shown we really, really want you, but we just can't, we can't get that deal done with PSG. And at the same time, PSG signed Messi, 
and a load of more players last summer. And they're thinking, we'll go and have a real crack at the Champions League. And if we do that, even if Mbappe goes, it's been worth it. What happened is kind of the opposite. PSG collapsed in the Champions League. Madrid reached the final. You watch Madrid this season, it's like, you know, they've been really good. Do they need Mbappe? Yes, probably long term. But they've not been screaming for him in the way that PSG have been. Then over the last couple of weeks, it sounded like Madrid would get the deal done, but they never had it done. You know, I think they probably had an agreement of sorts in terms of the ballpark figures involved. By Thursday night, PSG were extremely confident. It still wasn't done. They only got his signature on very late on Saturday afternoon. But, you know, as of Friday, they were already planning sort of this announcement on the pitch. He obviously scores a hat-trick. And you're now in a situation where arguably the best player in the world has now become the highest paid player in the world. The figures involved are extraordinary. You know, talking 40 million euros a year minimum, as well as a huge signing on fee. Reports of that being worth hundreds of millions. From his point of view, he has negotiated this incredibly well. It was his mum who was at the heart of the negotiations. One other thing on this, I mean, the the sums are eye-watering, as you've mentioned. Does he have greater control over the club with this deal? Certainly the suggestions in Spain are that he's basically been handed the keys to the kingdom at PSG in terms of coaches and signings and things like that. PSG are pushing back very hard on that, as you would expect them to, because it's not something they would want people to know if it's true. I think it's probably somewhere in between. Some, you know, If you have an employee that you really, really value to your business and that is key to your business, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong in having conversations with that employee every so often about, you know, we're thinking about this guy as a manager. Do you think that's a good idea? I think that's different to Kylian Mbappe has decided that Zinedine Zidane should be the next PSG manager. So I think there's probably like a real life aspect somewhere in between that makes a bit more sense. PSG are also having a real clear out this summer. Mauricio Pochettino is likely to leave. Sporting director Leonardo is on his way out. The big changes in things, you know, ad marketing department, communications department, women's team, they want to try and change the culture of the club. Whether you can change the culture of the club after, you know, the deal that they've just done over this weekend is another debate entirely. And, you know, we know the president, Nasser Al-Khalafi, is very hands-on. Whether that's healthy or not, we're not quite sure. But there are going to be cha- there are going to be big changes. There'll be a lot of people leaving the club, a bit like at Manchester United. And it's about, can they get the right people in to replace them? Let's bring Dermot Corrigan into this, who covers Spanish football for The Athletic. Real Madrid are a bit pissed off, aren't they? Yeah, they are. It's they're going through the, the seven stages at the minute, um, from like surprise through grief to, to anger, and I'm not sure exactly where they're going to end up. But yeah, Madrid were sure. Like one thing that that Adam left off the the list, the very comprehensive uh, rundown of, of how things played out, is Mbappe himself saying back in October that he really wanted to to join Madrid last summer. That he had the agreement was there. He was hoping that Paris Saint Germain would would accept the bids or bid or bids, whatever it was that, that Madrid had made for him. From Madrid's point of view, they they were sure that he wanted to come to play for them. Then as the way the games went in February and March, you know, Mbappe was the best player on the pitch, almost won it for, for Paris Saint-Germain, but Madrid, everything about their team, the club, the Bernabeu, everything that, that happened there, they thought that, you know, how is he going to, how could he not want to co- come and join us? How could he stay in this this kind of cold gilded cage is what they, they talk about it in Paris that he gets loads of money and um, but he's playing you know Mets and is that really going to, to fulfill him so they were sure up until last week everybody you talked to around Madrid was sure that, that he's going to come they didn't want to put too much 
pressure on. They were aware that, you know, Macron, the French president, was calling Mbappe, that the Emir of, of Qatar was getting involved, but they were still sure that he was going to come. Then just late last week, it's, that confidence started to, to, to run out. And then by Friday, when he was at the Bernabeu for, for the game, you know, everybody's pretty sure he wasn't going to come. So, yeah, they're... They're very, 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 very disappointed and upset. And and it's hard for, for people in Madrid, especially at the club or even for Madrid fans, to understand why he's going to stay. And that's why it comes out. It must be just for the money. But yeah, they're, they're upset. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. There's also a key dimension to this in that so many of the decisions that Real Madrid have taken over the past two years have been guided by this absolute belief that Mbappe would join the club. So, and you know, we, we saw that with a lot of the players that they moved on last summer. You know, they left themselves incredibly short in defence. I mean, they've turned out, I think, to be pretty good decisions in terms of Varane being sold for decent money to Man United, Ramos going, doing absolutely nothing at PSG, bringing in, you know, only Alaba in, in that position and, and Camavinga. You know, they've made huge money through sales and it was all to go towards paying for Mbappe. At the same time, you've also had COVID hit and the stadium rebuilds. They've had a lot of costs to try and bring in. The biggest issue over the last few months has been Erling Haaland, who has gone to Manchester City. But there's a lot of people close to City who, who really feared that his number one choice this summer, if it was on the table, would have been Real Madrid. Haaland had offers you know, from Bayern Munich, from uh, Barcelona, from PSG, as you would expect. Liverpool made an inquiry. But w- with Real Madrid, if they weren't going to get Mbappe, they can't not get Haaland as well. This is, you know, this is, this is Real Madrid who get the best players in the world at the best moments. And what happened was City were so fearful that if this went into the summer that Madrid would make their move, that City acted really, really quickly to get it done. And at that stage, Madrid still thought they'd get Mbappe. And the ideal situation for Madrid has been, we get Mbappe this summer and then Dortmund uh, maybe keep Haaland for one more year. And then we get both of them within within sort of uh, uh, 12 to 15 months. That was the ideal. I mean, that was... It was on the back page of the front page of Marker around Christmas time that you know that Real Madrid could get both these players, and for them to end up with neither of them, it is is unfortunately you know a spectacular failure. And I think it also says something about the direction of European football, which is the whole of the discussion about the power of clubs such as Manchester City and PSG now to get these deals done. And you know if you if you speak to City. Uh, they'll say, you know, Haaland's not on any more than Kevin De Bruyne is on. PSG were very keen to point out that Real Madrid's offer, when you take into account image rights, signing fees, everything involved, 
they felt was fractionally higher than PSG's. I take that with a massive pinch of salt. But there is a real debate here about, I suppose, the, the which are the most attractive clubs in European football now for the best players in the world. And it looks like it's City and PSG. Florentino would, would definitely agree with you about that, about how it's come down to the, the legacy clubs or the traditional clubs as Madrid view themselves against the state on the Super League comes into that as well, that a big, if you believe the the argument from the Super League people and from Florentino, it's that we need to do something. UEFA are unable to to stop Man City and stop Paris Saint-Germain. And, you know, you look at the, the decisions when UEFA have tried to come in and sanction City and Paris Saint-Germain hasn't gone too well. Seferin is a big power broker at, at UEFA now as well. And and on just the Mbappe, for Florentino himself, it's been so personalised that he was the man who was going to bring Mbappe to, to Madrid. They were going to rebuild the stadium. It's going to be the best stadium in the world, the glitziest stadium. It's going to have the biggest star, Mbappe. And Mbappe is going to bring in the sponsors. He's going to bring extra VIPs to the games. He's going to you know, revolutionise, bring Madrid back to, to where they believe that they should be, which is as the, the most attractive place, the, the biggest club in the world, and missing out on him. You know, maybe they would have gone for Haaland. If Mbappe had, you know, signed for £40, re-signed for Paris Saint-Germain back in January, I assume Madrid would have went all in for Haaland. They would have tried everything they could possibly do to get him to come. They weren't even that disappointed when he signed for City. It was kind of like, OK, you know, we don't have to worry about that now. It, it kind of showed Mbappe that you're our man. We're, we're going all in for you. We know that you want to come to visit us so, or to come and stay here, so we're not even that worried about missing out on Haaland. Now it just gets extra embarrassing and extra difficult for them, and it's going to be super interesting to see how they react. The wider point as well is La Liga getting involved which I mean I can't well either of you may correct me here but I can't remember a league getting involved on behalf of a club over a transfer before and by the way who are they speaking for La Liga when they weigh in on this it was amazing because this statement came through before it was announced that the headline of this statement was like La Liga statement on the possible announcement of Mbappe staying at Paris Saint-Germain. And I'd had a conversation with, with some contacts around La Liga earlier in the afternoon. And after Javier Tebas had put out a tweet saying, you know, PSG are a danger to modern football. It's as much of a threat as the Super League. Just sort of saying to them, you know, it's quite unusual for a league to, to, to talk on behalf of one of its clubs. I mean, can you imagine... I don't know, Manchester United missed out on Ronaldinho in 2003 and the Premier League's Richard Scudamore putting out a statement saying how outrageous it is. I mean, it's bizarre. Um, and it shows how powerful Real Madrid and Barcelona are in La Liga and to that league. And I think it also shows the insecurity of La Liga over the fact they don't have Ronaldo and Messi anymore. They'd have been thinking we could have uh, Mbappe and Haaland within a year or so. What does that do to our broadcast rights, our commercial arrangements? You know, at the same time, La Liga's commercial operation is continuing to grow, but nowhere near the rate of the Premier League. And, and, and I think that's where the fear comes in. But I think there is also a deeply personal view held by Tebas at La Liga that the state-backed clubs, City and PSG, are distorting and inflating the transfer market. And those clubs, City and PSG, would argue, well, we're not responsible for the fact that Barcelona are in over a billion pounds of debt. And we're not responsible for the fact that, you know, Real Madrid have been accused over the years of benefiting from some state support as well. It was just a remarkable statement. And they're saying, you know, we're going to file a complaint to UEFA, file a complaint in the, I think, in the French courts and also in the European courts. And it's like, well, what, what specifically for? What is that specifically for, Dermot? Tevis 
likes to get involved in, in any kind of political battle or likes to see himself in the headlines. He, he's not short of, of making comments. He's not, he might be a Real Madrid fan, but he's not doing it to support Real Madrid himself. And, and Florentino Perez don't get on at all. They have their own legal battles that are, that are flying around. Last year, Tabas did come out, made a similar enough statement around when Messi was, was leaving to, to go to Paris Saint-Germain about how they're, they're breaking FFP. Tabas has put in a lot of rules in La Liga, which have, um, you know, we've seen with Barcelona, how they've found it difficult to register players even after they sign them. He's big on to putting in financial controls that it works. And he's kind of associated with that in Spain. That's kind of his big idea for, for sorting out Spanish football, which has worked pretty well on sorting out finances of the smaller clubs. Spanish football is generally, you know, not as much in debt, paid its taxes, things like that. That it, that it used not to do. But he does see, again, that there's nobody in control of, of City and, and Paris Saint-Germain that if, if they're allowed to just go and spend no matter what they want, if financial fair play in Europe doesn't really seem to work, which doesn't really seem to work from, from this perspective, then La Liga itself is already up against it, against the Premier League, that Spanish clubs are, are going to be in trouble. Would Barcelona in this situation go, hang on a minute, or would actually Barcelona go, actually, that's a good, that's a good point because... Of the, you know, the need, as, as Adam highlights, the need for the commercial side of La Liga continuing to fall behind the Premier League. Barcelona fans are going to be happy that Mbappe is not coming to Madrid because, you know, Barcelona team is already a lot worse than, than the Madrid team, even though they, they won that, that Clásico. So from their point of view, they don't want it. Laporta, if you bring him for the, the rising tide lifts all boats, then it will be good for, for La Liga to get somebody like Mbappe. They are missing since Ronaldo and Messi left, Neymar left as well. They are missing. Um, out on that, those kind of big stars. Benzema's come to the end of it, his career. Modric as well. You know, at Barcelona are going to have to, um, you know, we'll see whether they can sign Lewandowski or not this summer, but they need to, to get a big star in. On the thing that um, Barcelona have got into trouble themselves, you know, that La Liga should look, look at their own financial problems. Barcelona got into trouble a lot in trying to match Paris Saint-Germain. The Neymar deal when, when Neymar left for, for Barcelona was a big, big reason why they got into the trouble that they did. They made lots of stupid mistakes and misspent money on people like Dembélé and Coutinho but it was trying to chase what they saw as the top of the market which had been set by by Paris Saint-Germain so again Tevis has made that argument himself That conversation is from the most recent episode of the Athletic Football Podcast. You can find the link to the full episode in our show's description. Thank you to Mark Chapman and Adam and Dermot Corrigan for that. Before we go, a quick TV guide for today for those of you in the United States. It's a big day in Europe because we have two cups at stake. First in the Copa de la Reina, Barcelona versus Real Madrid. This is, of course, the women's version of the Copa del Rey. Barcelona, Real Madrid needs no introduction. It's El Clasico. Barcelona just coming off of that Champions League final loss to Lyon. So they'll have a point to prove against their old rivals. That's at 3 p.m. on ESPN+. It is also, of course, the final of the UEFA Europa Conference League. These lower-tier UEFA competitions have been pretty awesome this year. And an interesting matchup in this one at 3 p.m., Roma versus Feyenoord. Jose Mourinho, of course, has a chance to get another trophy to add to his cabinet. That will be at 3 p.m. on Paramount+, and also on Today NA if you prefer to watch in Spanish. Tonight, it's actually a big night once again in the Copa Libertadores. We have two windows of games, one at 6 p.m., one at 8 p.m. At 6 p.m., two games happening, and the one I would recommend is Colo Colo versus Fortaleza. 
these two teams are tied on seven points. Fortaleza is up on goal difference, and they're playing each other. It's a tight race for the knockout round. They're in second in their in their group. Uh, whoever basically loses out in this game goes to the Sudamericana, and whoever wins goes on to the knockout round. At the Of the 8 p.m. games, it's a little bit harder to choose, but I might go with Atletico Mineiro versus Deportes Tolima. Uh, basically, top of Group D is at stake here. Tolima will need to win in order to take top spot, but both teams are probably safe for the knockouts, so they're really just playing for seeding here. All of those games, really all of the Copa Libertadores games generally are on BN Sports. Stateside, it's also a big night for the U.S. Open Cup as we progress farther in that competition. Most of the lower division sides have been weeded out by this point, but there are still a few USL sides and one third division side left at 7 p.m., Orlando City versus Inter-Miami. That, of course, is an MLS on MLS matchup, but it is a Florida derby. That is at 7 p.m. on ESPN+. Also at 7 p.m., a lower division versus MLS matchup, Louisville City hosting Nashville SC. That's at 7 p.m. on ESPN+. Uh, that third division side that I mentioned earlier is Union Omaha. They visit Minnesota United at 8 p.m. on ESPN+. There's also an El Trafico example uh, tonight at 10.30 p.m. LA Galaxy hosting LAFC uh, in the U.S. Open Cup. Again, that's at 10.30 p.m. on ESPN+. And just another game I might watch out for in that same window, Sacramento Republic of the USL playing San Jose Earthquakes of MLS. The Earthquakes have been really fun to watch lately. They score a lot of goals and they don't defend all that well all the time. So who knows what could happen in that one. Uh, That is at 10.30 p.m. on ESPN+. That's not all the games in the Open Cup, but it's most of them. Uh, All the games that you want to see, no matter what they are, are on ESPN+. Kickoff times range from 7 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. And finally, last but certainly not least, in the NWSL, we have OL Reign hosting Kansas City Current at 10 p.m. on Paramount Plus. OL Reign, one of NWSL's better teams so far, Kansas City Current, looking to get on the right track. So we'll see what they can do in this midweek matchup. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, and you can subscribe for $1 a month for six months by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. Thank you so much for listening, and happy soccer to you all.